God is still still good to us. Um, um, you all can be seated as we have one more song before you this morning. We you've heard this song before, so I would encourage you to sing along with us. Uh, but it's the song "Turn Your Eyes uh, Upon Jesus." So the lyrics will be on the screens. Follow along, sing along with us. <laughs> Thank you. 
and that would be my prayer and my encouragement to, to anybody in this world. Saved or lost, it is all the same. Turn your eyes to Jesus. He is our only hope. Let's go ahead and take a few minutes of fellowship before we get to the sermon.
All right, now we come to the part where somebody stands up here and teaches the Word of God. And I'll say this, I don't think our world, our church, our church understands this, but I don't think the church at large understands that we are not done worshiping our Savior until we hear from our Savior. Uh, we, we try to separate worship from we've sang, that's worship, and now we get to the preaching. No, this is just as much worship as the singing is worship. The singing is when we praise God with our mouths and we get to, to, to say to Him. And then when we open up the Bible, we get to hear from Him, which is probably the most important part of worship is hearing from our Savior. So open up the Word of God to Matthew chapter 26, and today we get to finish one of the longest chapters in all of the New Testament. I think it took us about two months to get through it, but we are going to get to finish it. Brandon says it all the time. It's not very often we finish a chapter. So today you get to be here for the end of one of the, I think, the second longest chapter in the New Testament. And we finish with probably the most well-known, I'll say, well-known sins, well-known denials in, in all of history. Uh, when you think about somebody who, especially a believer, who fell, who sinned, this one would be at the top of your list. This is Peter's denial of Jesus. It's in all four Gospels. It stands out. God wants us to know about this sin, this denial that Peter has of Jesus. Denies him three times here. So I titled the sermon, and this is going to be very controversial because I don't think we understand what the word means, but I've titled it, When a Believer Backslides. Uh, you hear that word a lot, backslides. And I want to be able to teach you today that it, it is possible for us to backslide, which means to go away from Christ, to, to drift away, but it is not possible that we, any of us that are true believers can lose our salvation. I want you to get that today. I want you to understand that. I'm going to say it at the outset. Now, it is possible for us to drift, to slide away from our original place or position, to be at a distance from Jesus, uh, but it is not possible. It is not possible for us to lose our salvation. So let's stand together. I want to look at this today. When a believer backslides, uh, we're going to see the great denial of Jesus here by Peter. And there's a lesson here for all of us. I think there's a warning here for us, but I think there's, even in this passage, some great encouragement. So I want to read to you just verse 69 to verse 75, and we'll see Peter backsliding. He does. From a very high position to maybe the lowest position that any believer has ever been. Verse 69. It says, Now Peter sat without in the palace, and a damsel came unto him, saying, Thou also wast with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied before them all, saying, I know not what thou sayest. It's verse 71. And when he was gone out into the porch, another maid saw him and said unto them, unto them that were there, This fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied, this time with an oath, I do not know the man. Verse 73. And after a while came unto him they that stood by. This is a, a larger crowd. And they said to Peter, Surely... Thou also art one of them, for your accent, your speech betrayeth thee. Then began Peter to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. And immediately the cock crowed. And Peter remembered the words of Jesus, which said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice, three times. And Peter goes out, and he wept bitterly. This is when a believer backslides. This is a great fall from a high position of Peter. And I want you to see that every single one of us uh, have this capacity within us to have a great fall. And we need to see that warning here today. So let's pray together and we'll study these verses. Father, I thank you for the warning passages in your word. And that's what this is. Four times, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see Peter denying. We see Peter falling. 
we see Peter backsliding. He is like us, but he's even better than we are. He's the best of us. And if he can do this, we can do this. So God, I, I pray that you'd use this as a lighthouse in our lives to warn us, don't go this way. And for those of us who have or who will in the future, fall away, backslide. I pray that you'd use this as encouragement, that even as far as, far as Peter fell, that our Savior was there to catch him and to restore him. That's great encouragement. So God, teach us these things today. Please help me to preach them well. And I ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I want, I want to read to you at, at the very outset here today a very, very popular nursery rhyme. <laughs> I know that's crazy for me to do, but it's, it's, it's one that you all know very well. It was written in the late 1700s, and it goes like this. This is a very popular, you, you guys know this one. Uh, Steph laughed at me when I told her I was going to start with this. But the nursery rhyme goes this way. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. The original one actually says this, and I, I like this. It's the earliest version of Humpty Dumpty. It says at the end of it, four score men and four score more couldn't make Humpty Dumpty what he was before. And you say, why in the world are you telling us a nursery rhyme about Humpty Dumpty having a great fall at the beginning of your sermon? And I say that to say that we're all like Humpty Dumpty in one way. And that way is that we as Christians are all capable of, of a great fall. Every one of us are capable of falling down. Of, of a, uh, we're not strangers to failure as believers. I wish it wasn't so, but all of us know what it's like to fail our Savior in some capacity and in some way. We know what it's like to be, to disappoint our Savior. We know what it's like to, for sadness to enter our lives. We know what it's like to, to try and try and try, to pledge and to vow, to, to promise I will not do this again. And to fall short. We know what it's like to be lukewarm. We know what it's like to, to be at a, at a distance. Where that We were so close to Christ and now we have drifted further away. We know what it's like to be in spiritual dullness where, we, where we're so sharp and we used to, to listen and pray and, and read and we, we were so close and now we're dull. We know what it's like to fall. We know what it's like to stumble. We know what it's like to be overcome by temptation. We know what it's like to even backslide. It could be one time, it could be a spiritual crisis, it could be a, a season of our life, but we can all say what Paul said, I think it's in Romans 7, Oh wretched man that I am. We know what that's like. All of us here know what it's like to fail. But if we know Christ, and if we're true believers, then we are unlike Humpty Dumpty in that there is somebody there to catch us when we fall. There is somebody there who can put us back together. There's somebody there who will not leave us broken in pieces. We all know what it's like. If you know Jesus and you're a true follower, we know what it's like to have a great fall. But we know someone who will put us back together when we fall. That's the encouragement. That Jesus is always there with His mighty, uplifting hands to catch us and to put us back together. And Peter here knows this firsthand. Probably better than any of us here. What an example we have here of Peter who had a great fall. Peter is a man a lot like us. If you, if you followed with us in Matthew, Peter is the type that bounces around a lot. He, he bounces from great faith where you're like, man, Peter's great to great failure. Peter's awful. Isn't that a lot like us? Some days it's like, we're doing great. And other days it's like, how could I even be saved? 
That's Peter. He, 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 he goes from the greatest of heights, maybe higher than anybody who ever lived, to some of the lowest of lows of anybody who ever lived. Peter, this man who probably had the, the highest of heights. I, I read a quote this week that called Peter the elect of the elect of the elect. In, the, in that he was, yes, a, a elect unto salvation, but he was also elect in, in one of the twelve disciples. And even of the twelve disciples, he was elect of those as, as one of the top two or three. He was the elect of the elect of the elect. No one any higher than, than him. But here we find him not in his lofty heights, but in his lowest of lows. Here we find this, this great man saved by Christ, called by Christ, set apart by Christ, loved by Christ, taught by Christ at the worst moment of his life. At the greatest failure of his life. No believer, I believe in history, has ever fallen as far as Peter does right here. I want to say that again. I don't think any believer in the history of the world, believer, has ever fallen as far as Peter does right here. No one so high has fallen so low. But we see here as he does this, Jesus is there to forgive and to restore. That's encouraging. There's a warning for us here. Don't do what Peter did. Don't fall like he fell. But there's also an encouragement here for us that when we do fall, and we will, that Jesus is always there to forgive and restore. I found this quote by a Puritan this week, and I'll transition into the passage with this. If you stumble, he will raise you. If you err, he will bring you back. If you fall, he will revive you. That's who Jesus is. And that's what he does for Peter here. So when a true believer backslides, let's look at this. And I want to show you this week, we're going to look at when a believer backslides, Jesus is always there to restore and to forgive. Next week will be Judas when somebody who's not a real believer falls. You'll see what happens to Judas. So let's look at this one. I want to show you when a true believer backslides. Number one, I want to break this down into, into three points. We could have several sub-points. I don't know. We'll see. Starting the first, we'll start with, and I want to start in verse 69. Because his backsliding doesn't begin in verse 69. It never starts in, in the moment. There's always something that, that builds up to a great fall. It, it, it never happens just, just uh, in that split second. There's always something in the life that is built up to or led up to. I'll say this, there's a path to backsliding. There's a path to the fall. And, and Peter has a, a very clear path. And so I want to show you the first point, the cause of his backsliding. And I want to take you back. It's all going to be in this same chapter because we're, we're closing it. So I want, I want to take you back to verse, let's, let's go to verse 31. For me, it's on the, on the same page, but I want to show you what, what the cause of. So you guys can watch this and say, I better not take the same steps he took if I want to fall like he fell. Here's, here's the steps that he took. It started with a foolish confidence. Look in verse 31. Then saith Jesus unto them, we've, we've studied this, all of you shall be offended. And that word offended is fall away. Or you, you can look it up in the Greek, it can even mean backslide. All of you will fall away. All of you will be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I'm risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. And Peter here in verse 33 is this foolish confidence where he says, Though all men shall fall away, though everybody will be offended and, and backslide because of you, yet I will never fall. Foolish confidence that says, not me. I will never, that will never happen to me. And then, verse 34, Jesus says, yet yeah, will. I mean, we've, we've studied this. 
Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto you, that this night, tonight, before the cock crow, you'll deny me three times. And Peter doubles down. He looks at Jesus and says, No, you're wrong. I know me better than you know me, Jesus. I'm not listening to what you say. I think it's funny. How many times do you think Peter has seen Jesus be wrong in three years? Not once. And here he finally says, And now, Jesus, you're wrong. He looks at what he says here. Peter said unto him, Though I should die with you, yet I will not deny you. It's not going to happen. I will never deny you. Absolutely not. Under no circumstance will I ever deny you. I'm not going to fall. I'm not going to slip up. I, I, I know too much. been around too much. It will never happen to me. It's the wrong attitude. Jesus gives him this warning. Jesus tells him it's coming. All hell is going to be unleashed and attack. And Peter says, I can handle it. Though none go with me, still I'm going to follow. These other loser disciples, they, they won't, but I will. I'll never fall. Peter says, I can handle it. So this is always where your backsliding begins. And you need to be aware of this. Backsliding begins by thinking it will never happen to you. That you're going to stand up and say, it may happen to somebody else in that church. I know a few people that I think are already backsliding. It'll happen to them. They're weak. They don't know what I know. Their doctrine isn't as good as mine. Their theology isn't, isn't as, as precise as mine is. I'm faithful. It'll never happen to me. And when you have that overconfidence of it won't happen to me, be careful. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he backslide or he fall. No one ever thinks it'll be them. Talk to somebody who's backslidden. Talk to somebody who's, who's fallen away. Talk to somebody who, who once was so close and now has drifted so far that they would say, I never thought I would do that. Never once. So the first step is a foolish confidence. Second, and it just goes in the indirect order. Look at with me at verse 36. Because he's so confident, confident it won't happen, now he doesn't, he, he fails to pray. Look, look with me, verse 36. Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place of Geth, called Gethsemane and says to the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray. And he took with him, again, the elect of the elect of the elect. He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and they began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then he said unto him, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Stay here and, and watch with me, or pray with me. You're going to need to pray. What's coming up, it, 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 we have to pray. We have to be prepared. We need divine strength to go against supernatural evil. And Jesus goes, and we've talked about this, and prepares himself for what's coming. And when Jesus comes back the first time, all three of those disciples have hit snooze. He comes back the second time. He even looks at them and says, well, you, you can look at it. He looks at them and says, come on, guys. <laughs> Could you not watch with me for one hour? And he says it to Peter. Verse 40. He comes to the disciples, finds them asleep, says, says unto Peter, Could you not watch for one hour? Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. Your spirit is willing, I know, but your flesh is so weak, you need divine power to overcome supernatural temptation. And he comes back and second time and prayed. He came and found them asleep, verse 43, and their eyes were heavy. 
It happens three times. Sound asleep. Slept through it. I don't think he got it. I don't think he understood the temptation that was coming. This overconfidence turns into him saying, it'll, it'll never happen to me. I don't need God's help. I can handle it myself. <laughs> and he's unprepared for when the time comes. The second step to backsliding or falling away is a failure to prepare. A failure to pray. This is where the fall goes. And you've all heard the quote, a failure to prepare is to prepare for failure. So a failure to watch and pray about temptation, about falling, about backsliding will ultimately lead to it. I think there should be a prayer every single day for us. That every day we wake up knowing that it's possible. I have, I have that within me to fall away, to, to, do, to, to, to do some awful things. So I need to pray every day. The Lord's Prayer, lead me not in temptation, but deliver me from evil. I can't do this on my own. Peter didn't do that. Step number three, that leads to his fall. He's like Humpty Dumpty going to sit on the wall. He's just asking for it. He had foolish confidence. He failed to pray. And then in verse 58, I don't know if anybody noticed this. When I preached this passage, I totally skipped verse 58. Nobody came up to me and said, hey Josh, you skipped a verse. I knew I was coming back to it. Verse 58. Watch this. We go from foolish confidence to a failure to pray or prepare to following from afar. Jesus, it says in verse 57, they laid hold of him. They took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. He's, he's having the, the courtroom scene there. And then out in the courtyard, Peter followed afar off under the high priest's palace. And he went in and he sat with the servants to, to watch, to see the end. See where Peter is? Jesus is arrested. Jesus is on trial. And where's Peter? The, the one who used to be right by Jesus' side everywhere he went. You, you with me? The one who wanted the, the seat right beside Jesus all the time. The one who wanted his head on, on Jesus' shoulder. The one who, if Jesus went that way, he went that way. If Jesus went that way, he went that way. He said, I'll follow you wherever you go. Is now where? The one who was right beside Jesus is now afar off from Jesus. Not anywhere near him. Within our distance where he could see him, but not by his side. He's not next to Jesus. He's not right beside of Jesus. He's blending in with the crowd. He's in the same vicinity. He can see Jesus. I'll say it this way. He's in the ballpark, but he's not on the field. This is where it goes. In that moment, he's not walking very closely to Jesus. He's not singing just a closer walk with thee. Granted, Jesus is my plea. In that moment, Peter is, I don't want to be too far from Jesus, but I don't want to be too close to Jesus. I want to be just right. I don't want to be, this is, he's between great faith and great fear. He's between a great courage and being a coward. He's straddling the fence right in the middle. He's close enough to say he's following, but he's far enough away where he won't get in trouble. And for these reasons, and I think there's a lot of people like that today. They're not where they used to be with Jesus. They used to be so close. Whatever he said they'd do, wherever he said go, they'd go. 
They were listening. They were singing. They were attending. They were doing everything that they could to be as close to Jesus as they possibly can. And over time, and we're seeing that a lot over the last two years with all that's happening in our world, there's been a, a, a gradual drifting away from the position they once had with Jesus. And I'm not talking about salvation. Again, you're not losing your salvation. You're just not as close to Jesus in your relationship as you used to be. You're still within eye distance. You're still within prayer distance where you can call out to Him. Maybe not whisper to Him. But you could cry out and He would hear. You're, you're not uh, too far away, but you're not too close. You're close enough to say you're still a follower, but you're not close enough to, to get yourself in trouble with the culture. You're afar. This is where He's at. And for these reasons, and this is just the cause of his fall, Peter isn't ready for what happens next. I'm just building it up. This isn't happening in one moment. There's a lot of things that had to happen before he denied. And because he's not ready, Peter's no match for what comes next. Peter's a sitting duck. When temptation comes creeping up to his door, he's not ready for it. And I'm afraid... That a lot of us aren't ready for the temptation that faces us every day. Because we've not been preparing ourselves beforehand. I'm afraid, and it's not just every day, but I'm afraid that in the season that we're getting ready to go into as a church, when the culture is not just against us, they are adamantly trying to destroy the church. I don't know that the church is prepared for the temptation that's on its way. I don't know if the church is prepared for the evil that is coming its way. The Bible says that in the end there's going to be a great falling away or a great backsliding. Are we ready for that? If we want to be ready for it, we better understand who we are and not have foolish confidence that says it'll never be me. We've got to be on our knees praying and saying, help me to, to, to not fall into temptation and to not be falling into evil. And we need to be staying as close to Jesus as we possibly can. So he wasn't ready. He's, he's not ready to go. And that's what leads to the second point, the moment of backsliding. Look what happens. Now we're in verse 69. We're back to it. And I've got three sub-points for you here, if you like that. Denial number one, denial number two, denial number three. Verse 69, we see denial number one. Now Peter sat within the palace and a huge, big, strong... Roman soldier came unto him. Is that what you're saying? A big soldier with a huge broad sword comes unto him. No, it says a little girl. He wasn't ready. This little damsel, this young slave girl, she's a nobody. She's a doorkeeper. She, and in my mind, I know they say that she could have been 13, 14 years old, but in my mind, I see my little... Emma, you know, she's four foot nothing, 30 pounds, you know. This little girl comes walking. Now, you got to picture this. She comes walking up to, to Peter. And, and, and she's looking at him in, in the face. And she's trying to figure out who he is. And, and Peter's trying to hide. He, he doesn't want to be seen by nobody. And he's, he's, they say he's, he's around a fire. And there's all kinds of people gathered around this fire trying to warm themselves. And Peter's trying to watch what's going on. And this girl's sitting there staring him down. <laughs> I think I know that guy. And Peter's trying to just, you know. No, you, you, 
No, you don't, you little girl, you know. And she looks at him, and I think she causes a scene. She says unto him, Hey, wasn't you with Jesus of Galilee? And she's not saying, Hey, wasn't you? You say, How do you get that? Because now Peter in verse 70 has to say in front of them all. So I, I think she's causing a scene. I think she's a little girl saying, Hey, he was, with, he was with Jesus. Hey, he was with Jesus. That's how I know him. I've seen him with Jesus. And what does Peter do? He doesn't have an answer prepared. He's not had a week to, to study a sermon. In that moment, because he didn't prepare building up, he says, I don't know what you're saying. Now get this. And it says in front of them all, that would be the, the bystanders, the guards, the soldiers, they're all gathered in the, in the courtyard. So he, he denied. He said, no, before them all, I don't know what you're saying. This is a softball question. Little Emma plays coach pitch softball. You know, and they, they just... And she swings away at it, you know. All those girls swinging and the coaches here. And I'm sitting there thinking, man, if I was out there, I'd kill that ball. <laughs> It's just a softball. You know, there it is. Here, aren't you one of them? Peter could have easily said, yeah, I am. But he says, I don't know what you're saying. He lies. But it's just a little white lie. That's where it starts, right? He's like, I, he, he didn't say, I don't know him. He says, I don't know what you're talking about. He's breaking one of the Ten Commandments. Even if it's a little white lie, it's still breaking one of the Ten Commandments. So he lies, trying to keep himself out of trouble. And then he walks away. Verse 71, he says, I don't know what you guys are talking about. And he turns to walk away. He's trying to get out of the scene. Now we move to the second denial. And when he's gone out now into the porch, another little girl. You see, it's a different girl. <laughs> he's, these girls are getting the best of him. Another little girl comes up to him and says to him, and this is after time passes, as they commentary say this, this lasted two to three hours. This isn't just boom, boom, boom. He walks away, he's gone for a few minutes, and another little girl walks up to him. He may have had time with this. He's thinking in his mind, okay, if another little girl comes up to me, what am I going to say? So this other little girl walks up to him and, and now she's announcing it. Look what she says. And, and said unto them. She didn't even say it to, to Peter. She's, she's announcing it. Hey guys, this fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. That's pitch number two, right? You missed the first one, Peter. Here you go. Even slower. Even easier. Here you go. Here's his chance. And it's worse. And again he denied. This time with an oath. I swear it's the truth. I don't know that man. I swear. That's what he's saying now. This is, we're taking this a step further, are we not? We go from a little white lie to a blatant lie putting his own life on the line. I swear I don't know. And he doesn't even say the name of Jesus. He says, I don't know that man you're talking about. This is the same Peter who said to Jesus, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Where can I go? You have the words of life. And now he's saying, I don't know the man. Peter followed him when it was easy, when it was popular, now when it's hard and heated and he could be hated, he's not willing to pay the price. 
And we can sit there and point fingers at Peter all day long, but how many times have we had the opportunity of a softball pitch laid out in front of us and we swung and missed? How many times have we failed in that way? Around a friend, around family, at the dinner table. It's just it's a softball question. How many times? I mean, and it may not be to deny Jesus. It may be, are you a Christian? That's an easy question. It may be, do you believe in the seven day creation? That God made all things in six days and he rested on the seventh? Do you believe that? And you start doing nothing. Or do you believe marriage is between one man and one woman? Well, there you go. There's a cultural question that, that if you swing at that and knock it out of the park, you can be hated. I mean, there's these questions. Do you believe that such and such is a sin? Do you believe that all these things are just going to be tossed out to you and because you're scared of what they're going to say about you? I might lose my job. I might lose my friends. And we swing and we miss. We've all failed in this way. I've prayed in the morning, God, give me a chance to share the gospel today. I don't even have to go out and find somebody. Send them to me. And I'll be in the weight room and some guy will walk up to me and say, aren't you the preacher? And I'm like, really, now? <laughs> and I've walked away. Yeah, I'm the preacher, but no gospel. We fail. Denial number three. Now there's more people. It's not just little girls. Verse 73. And after a while came unto him they that stood by. It's spreading. It's multiplying. These girls have caused a scene and now a whole group of people show up. And you know who's in that group? John 18 says that one of Malchus's relatives is there. You say, who's Malchus? This is the guy that Peter pulled the sword out and cut his ear off. It's one of his relatives is now walking up in this crowd saying, I saw him cut my cousin's ear off. <laughs> and they walk up. Peter can't get away from them. And they look at him and they say, this is my favorite one. What they say to him here. They said to Peter, surely, which is certainly, there's no doubt about it that you're one of them. How do they know? <laughs> it says your accent gives it away. There was a certain Galilean accent that every time he said whatever he was saying, I don't know him. It's like, yeah, he's talking just like a Galilean. You go outside of southwest Virginia and people can tell where you're from. Go into a store and ask for some swipe paints. <laughs> are you you ain't from around here, are you? <laughs> no, nah, I'm from up in Holler. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what they're saying. You're not from around here. Your 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 speech, your your accent is is, is betraying you. You talk just like one of them. So here we go. Are you ready? He's got two strikes on him. Now we got another softball question coming his way. We know it. Malchus's cousin's sitting there saying, I saw you cut his ear off. They're saying your accent is, is, is betraying you. You talk just like one of them Galileans. You talk like them. Here you go, Peter. Here's a chance, man. One more chance. All he had to do was say, yes, I know him. He's a Christ, the Son of the living God. And I'll die right beside of Him. He had a captivated audience. But here He gets to the, to the lowest point. Then He began to 
That began means that he didn't do it just once. He did it over and over and over and over and over. He started and kept on. Saying, I swear I don't know him. This swear is, I swear on a stack of Bibles. I swear to the God of heaven. And if I'm lying, this is what the curse is. If I'm lying, may the God of heaven strike me dead right now. This is bad. If I'm lying, I'm dying. I swear I don't know him. And if I'm lying, may God strike me down with a lightning bolt where I stand. This is as strong of a denial as you can give. He now has entered into the, the place where he fears man more than he fears God. I'm more afraid of what they'll do to me than what God would do to me. I'm more afraid of, of, of them punching me and spitting on me like they are Jesus in this moment than I am God pulling down a curse upon me. He's lost all fear of God at this point. So Peter swings and misses. How many strikes is that? Three. He's out. Peter, when he said, Thou art the cross, the Son of the living God, he had an A+. Jesus said that. Wow! Flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, but our God which is in heaven has revealed that unto you. Good job, Peter! Uh, I'm going to give you the, the keys! And here he gets an F-. minus. He's failed. Here he's at the lowest of lows. Here he's at, at rock bottom. Here, at this point, if we stopped after he cursed and swore and said, if I'm lying, may God strike me dead. He's completely and utterly turned his back on Jesus and said, I don't know that man. At this point, you have to ask yourself, if we stop there, is this man even a believer? If somebody went on national television and was asked by a, a, a popular figure, do you believe in Jesus Christ? And they said, I don't even know the man. We would all, and this is a prominent Christian, a preacher, we would all say, he's apostatized. He's no longer a believer. He never was to begin with. That's where Peter's at. Is he even a believer? Would a saved person act like this? He's apostatized. He's fallen away. He's backslidden too far. Have we ever done anything this bad? If it's possible, I want to say this, and I've got to be very careful with my words here. If it's possible that one could lose their salvation, would not this be the line that is crossed? Are you with me? And that's, that's the thing I'm looking for in the Bible when people say you can lose your salvation. If it was possible for us to lose our salvation, shouldn't there be a whole book of the Bible explaining what it is we can do to lose it? I need to know that. Where's the line if I can lose it? And I think the line would be three straight denials that you even know Jesus. This is bad. This is as bad as it gets. Nobody's gotten any lower than this. Nobody. I've done, after being a believer, I've done, I've said, I've thought bad things 
I've failed. But I've not done this. If you could lose your salvation, I believe he's crossed the line. If somebody did that in today's culture, I would say they never were a believer to begin with. But this isn't the end of the story. Aren't you glad? I quoted a Puritan at the start. If you stumble, he'll raise you up. If you err, he'll bring you back. If you faint, he will revive you. And that's what we see next. That was the moment of backsliding. I want to show you now the, the restoration of the backslider. Because that, that's where we turn to next. He's, he's restored. That's what Jesus does. He restores those who fall away. He restores those who fail. Those who slip up. Those who, who fall. He restores the, the backslider. And how does He do it? I love this. He starts with a rooster. <laughs> this rooster preaches a better sermon than any sermon I've ever preached. <laughs> Look at it. As soon as He denied the third time, He says, I know not the man, verse 74. And immediately, I love that, the, the rooster crowed. As soon as the third denial, at that moment, so let me ask you this before I even move on. Is, G, is Jesus not sovereign over even the details? I mean, I don't think there's a maverick molecule in the entire world that he's not in complete control over. That he did, at the exact moment of the third denial, there's a rooster that crowed exactly the second it was supposed to. And this rooster becomes the preacher <laughs> that opens the eyes of Peter. Watch what it says. And immediately, immediately, as soon as he did it, the rooster crowed. And it's normal for there to be all kinds of roosters crowing at that time. But this one's different. This one grabs his attention. This one is a, a wake-up call. God is grabbing Peter's attention because God's not going to let Peter go any further. And God will, and we need to hear this, this is a warning, God will use a lot of things to get our attention. This is the first step of restoration. That God gets our attention. You've seen it. I've seen it. It's happened to me. That you begin to drift away. And you're not where you should be. And you're not doing what you ought to do. And it gets comfortable and it gets easy. And you don't even see it. You don't even pay attention to it. That you could, you could hear a sermon. You could, a pastor could come to your house and say, Hey man, where you been? Hey, what's going on? I, I noticed you're drifting away. No, I'm not. But then somewhere, if that person is a true believer, God will use something or somebody to wake them up to their condition. And here He uses a rooster. God will always use something. This is the, the, the first step. He's, he isn't willing to let Him go any further. And God has many ways and many tools in His arsenal in order to get us to wake up. This rooster is an alarm going off in Peter's mind. Hey, I'm going the wrong way! This rooster is a loud sermon. This rooster woke him up. And they say, this is, history says this, it's not Bible, but they say, Every time after this moment that Peter heard a rooster crow, that he cried. Have you ever had a sermon that hit you so hard that every time you read that passage again for the rest of your life, you're reminded of what happened when you heard it? 
God gets his attention. I had to promise myself I would not crow like a rooster in this sermon. And I've kept that promise to myself. Get this. Here's your lesson with the rooster. When a true believer backslides, it's always temporary. It's never permanent. You say, what does that mean? When a true believer backslides, God will always use something to get your attention. And when he lets you go and doesn't use anything to get your attention, it proves that you're not a true believer. Judas is getting ready next week in his falling away to commit suicide. To fall away completely. And God does nothing to stop him. He stops Peter with the crow of a rooster. The falling away of a true believer is always, the backsliding of a true believer is always temporary. It doesn't last long. God will get your attention one way or the other. And you need to be very careful what he uses. It may be this sermon today. It may be the words of a child. God can use a little little babe to whisper in a parent's ear, hey, we ain't been to church in a long time. I want to go to church. What's the Bible say about this and you don't know? God can use a lot of things. He can use sickness. He can use death. God has a a lot of ways in in His arsenal to grab our attention. And here He uses a rooster. Next, there's a look. You say, well, I don't see a look here. I want you to turn with me to Luke 22. I studied all four of the passages, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I like what it says here in Luke 22, verse 60. This is the same, same story. Verse 60 says, And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately in denying, while he yet spake, the the cock crowed. And it says, And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me three times. So it says there, And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And then Peter remembered the word of the Lord. In Matthew, if you want to turn back there, it says, and Peter remembered the words of Jesus. It started with a, a look. And what would happen there is probably as that uh, rooster crowed, the trial is ended and Jesus is walking by where Peter is with a crowd. He's warming his hands. And as he denies the third time and the rooster crows and he gets his attention and as he walks by, he sees Jesus and they... Her eyes meet. What kind of look did Jesus give him? Eye to eye as Jesus walks by. So that's what happens. You get your attention and then all of a sudden you see Jesus. And the look, we know that his face was probably bloody and black and blue. We know it was probably a look that Peter never forgot the rest of his life. I don't think, and maybe I'm wrong, I don't think it was an angry look. I've had those looks from my parents before when I was young and, and you're across the room and, and you're being mean. I, I give that look now. My kids know the look. I see them in church and they're, they're doing something mean before church. And I, I look, I, Christian! And I, you, know, you can't jump on them. There's people here. You know, 
And he just crumbles. I don't think it was an angry look. I think it was a tender look. I think it was a kind look. I think it was a loving look. I think it was a look of unconditional love. I think it was what Romans 2 says, the kindness of God will lead you to repentance. I think this look burned into Peter's, not his eyes, but I think it burned into his heart. I think with the rooster crow, he got the, the, the eyes open, and with the look, he broke his heart. And he remembered the words of Jesus. This is conviction. His heart is broken. I've, I've sinned. Lesson number two, when a believer backslides, there's always discipline. There's always a chastening. There's always a, a breaking of the heart that leads to repentance, which is what happens next. Because it says, And Peter remembered the words of Jesus, and said, which said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me three times. And then, here's what happens next. It's just going in that order. He gets the attention, and then he breaks his heart, and then he changes his actions. He repents. Look what it says. And he got up and went out. To be alone. We don't know where he went. We don't know what he said. I think he might have been doing a Psalm 51 prayer where David sinned against God. Against you and you only have I sinned. But it says he's weeping bitterly. He's weeping loudly. He has sorrow over what he's done. Sorrow. And that's where we have to get to. And when we fail like this, or we need our, our attention grabbed, and we need our hearts broken, and we need to, to be having sorrow over the sin that we've committed, the, the failure in our lives, how far I've fallen, how, how, how close I used to be, and I'm not there now. I've failed my Savior. How could I do that? You don't see a whole lot of that in churches anymore. People used to say to me, why do you have tissues in the, in the pews? You think there's going to be sick people here? What's going on? I said, well, you hope that there's going to be some brokenness over sin. That's what you hope. That people are becoming aware. I'm not where I should be. I failed my Savior. I must change. That's what's going on with Peter. He's got a repentant heart. See, there's a difference, and we'll talk about this next week, but there's a difference between a repentant heart that Peter had and a remorseful heart that Judas had. Judas had a remorseful heart in that he felt bad for what he did, but it didn't change anything about his life. There's a lot of us that may feel bad about what I've done. That's Judas. But when we repent, our eyes are opened, our heart is broken, and our feet will go in a different direction now. 2 Corinthians 7 says, For godly sorrow worketh repentance. But worldly sorrow worketh death. So when a believer backslides, there's always going to be repentance. A change of ways. A coming back to where you should be. Those are three good lessons. When a believer backslides, it's always just for a season. It's never permanent. There's always going to be a chastening, a, a, a disciplining of, of God where He says, okay, and, and, he, and He breaks our hearts. And there's always going to be a change of action where you go back to where you used to be. How do we know Peter truly repented? <laughs> you shouldn't ask that question. Because you are now going to have to follow me. I'll turn to John 21. I, I want you to see, well, I, you don't have to turn there, but Luke 24 
one of the first people at the, at the empty tomb was Peter on the run. And then you get to John 21, which I think anybody knew that I was going to go there today. How do we know? I've got a, a few verses here and a few minutes. John 21. This will be the first time that Peter has seen Jesus. Talked to Jesus since then. So when they had dined, Jesus made them breakfast. <laughs> Verse 12. I, I could tell you to read the whole chapter, but I'm not going to. They caught fish, and Simon Peter went up and drew the net to the land full of great fishes. Verse 11. And 150 and 3, for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. And Jesus says unto them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask, Who art thou, knowing it was the Lord? And Jesus come and takes the bread and giveth them, and fish likewise. This is now the third time, so that this is, this is not the, the first time, it's the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was risen from the dead. Now here's when he meets with Peter. Verse 15, so when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou more than these? Question number one. And he saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he says, Well, feed my lambs. Verse 16, he saith unto him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And he saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he said unto him, Well, feed my sheep. Third time, he says unto him, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And Peter was broken because he said it the third time. Why was he broken over the third time? It's a reminder of the denial. Three times you denied me, now three times I'm asking you, do you love me? Do you really love me? And Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love thee. You know I do. That's the difference between Peter and Judas. Judas hated Jesus and Peter really did love Jesus. He says, you know I love you. Oh, what kindness Jesus shows him here. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't treat Peter the way Peter treated Jesus? Aren't you glad that He didn't turn him away? Aren't you glad that He didn't say, I don't even know you, Peter, and He sat with the other disciples? Aren't you glad that Jesus restores him right here, picks him up right here, that we aren't just objects of the grace of Jesus, that we are the projects of the grace of Jesus, and, and He's constantly working on us and picking us up when we fall down? Turn with me to Acts chapter 4. You guys know these things, but it's good to be reminded. Acts chapter 4. Listen to this. <laughs> this, is, this is good. And it came to pass on the morrow that the rulers and the elders and the scribes, verse 5, Acts 4, 5, same people Jesus was standing in front of in, that, in Caiaphas' palace, the rulers, the elders, and the scribes. And then you have Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander. And as many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. When they had set them in the midst, they asked them, by what power or by what name have you done this? There's Peter's fourth chance. Another chance. In front of all these powerful people, what's Peter going to do this time? This, this, this one isn't really a softball question. This is a, a, a curveball, man. This is tough. Verse 
Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, verse 8, said unto them, and I think he said it loud, and I think he said it proud. Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man by what means he's made whole, then be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by Him does this man stand before you whole. Now, it's a different man, ain't it? Now watch this. This is the stone which have said it not of you builders, which has become the head of the corner, and neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That's the answer he should have gave in Matthew 26. Wow. You think Peter learned his lesson? Do you think he repented of his actions? Do you think he's a changed man? Because that's what happens. And this isn't Peter's doing. This is how Jesus restores the fallen believer. Let me give you another one. First Peter. You guys know that Peter wrote two books? Go and read them this week. You got an assignment. Go read first and second Peter. And see if you don't think he learned a lesson. Just, just, just want to give you one right here. Just so you know. First Peter one. Verse five. I, I thought about reading to you all of first Peter and second Peter. Just to see that the common thread of the lesson that he learned now goes into first and second Peter. Let's, let's, let's read verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and which fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith and the salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter knows that it was the sovereign hands of Christ that kept him from falling all the way down. Without the hands of Christ, every single one of us falls. Only Christ can hold us up. Peter knows it. If he hadn't have picked me up, I would have fell all the way down. Peter knows you can't lose your salvation because if you could, he would have. You need to know today that you can't lose your salvation. And if you could, you would. Peter knows that I'm kept by the power of God. I'm held by the power of God that nothing can pluck me from His hands. That because I'm a believer, I may fail, I may fall, I may trip up, I may have bad days and bad months and bad seasons, but He will never let me go. He will always pull me back and He will pick me up when I fall down. And when I'm broken into pieces, I know a Savior who will put me back together again. I don't need all the king's horses and all the king's men. I've got Jesus Christ. It wasn't Peter that kept. It was the hand of Almighty God that kept. And it's the same for every single one of us. Just to show you a few moments in his life, and I'll show you his death. It's said that when he was killed, Peter, he was martyred, and they were going to hang him on a cross just like Jesus. And Peter says, I'm not worthy to, be, to die the same way my Savior did. So he said, turn that thing upside down. And he was crucified on an upside down cross. His failure, get this, helped him to be faithful into the future. 
His failure helped him to be faithful into the future. He learned his lesson. And he led from a place of failure. Don't you love how God can take our messes and turn them into his greatest message? It's exactly what he did for Peter. So what do we do with this? I know this is a different kind of sermon than I usually preach, but what do we do with this? I'll tell you what we do. First of all, we need to pray for believing backsliders. We need to give them the same look that Jesus gave Peter. We, we need to be the ones who wake them up. We need to be on our knees praying that God would get their attention. That God would bring them to repentance and that God would restore them. Because there's a great many, and, and we'll see if they're true believers or not, by if it's temporary or if it's permanent. Are they Peter's or are they Judas's? So we need to be praying for these backsliding believers. That God would use whatever He needs to use to get their attention and bring them back. And maybe that's you here today. Maybe you come strolling in today thinking that you're right where you need to be, but God has used a, the, the rooster crow that Peter heard to open your eyes and say, you know what, I used to be here and I used to be, be where I want to be and where I need to be and I used to be so close, but now I've, I've drifted so far away and your eyes are open to it and your heart is, is breaking to it and, and now you must repent and go back to your first words. You, you need to return. Maybe God is using this sermon as a wake-up call to somebody in this room. I'm drifting. I'm, I'm and it's a dangerous trajectory. It's a downward spiral. You don't know where you'll end up. Maybe God's using this as a lighthouse to say, don't go this way. If that's you today, I pray that you would repent. Turn back. For those of us here who would say, I'm not backsliding right now. I'm... I'm where I need to be. Then every day you need to wake up and say, lead us not into, into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Help us be ready for what's coming. Help me not to fall. I, I'm apt to fall every single day. Help me not to do that. And all of us should be thankful that if you stumble, He will raise you up. If you err, He will bring you back. And if you faint, He will revive you. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. And all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put him back together again. But when we have a great fall, aren't you glad we have a Savior who will come along and put us back together in a loving, kind, gracious way. Forgive us and restore us. That's the Savior we have. I'm prone to wonder. I know it. I'm prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Yeah. May that be the prayer of all of us around this room today. I know I'm prone. God help me not to. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. The warning here, and I think it's more than a warning. I think it's an encouragement. But let us hear. Those who need to hear the warning, let them hear the warning. If they're slipping away. If they're going in the wrong direction. If they're being pulled, enticed. I pray that this would be a wake-up call to them. That their eyes would be open, their heart would be broken, and their wheels would move in the right direction to repentance. 
I pray for those of us, those in our church, maybe not even here, that have drifted away, that you'd pull them back. That you'd catch them and piece them together. Please, God, restore those like the prodigal son who's run away. It's another reason I believe the face is a face of love. Because the face of the Father, when he returned, was a face of love. I love that you restore fallen sinners. And God, help us all, help us as a church, as a whole, to not fall away. I know it's getting harder and harder. The temptations are there. We deal with real temptation, real evil. And God, I know, and I think every one of us here knows, that there's real danger for us to drift. Please help us. Please keep us, God, from that temptation. and Please deliver us from evil. And God, I know I didn't give an invitation, but if there's anybody in here who's not saved, I hope they know that there is no amount of sin in their life that our Savior can't forgive. And that they would run to Him, turn their eyes upon Jesus and look full in His wonderful face. And that they believe in Him today for the very first time. Please use your word to accomplish your purposes for it. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.